This is Your Liturgical Bible, a Bible study series from Enacting the Kingdom. We believe that through community, ritual, and liturgy, the story of the Bible comes to life. Join Father Jeffrey and I as we learn to express the beauty of the biblical story together. The Forgotten Pillar. The Forgotten Pillar. We went through the seven pillars of biblical literacy put together by the gentleman over at the Bible Project podcast. And we went through all seven kind of from an Orthodox perspective. They're not, they're not Orthodox. They're evangelical Christians. Um, but the past two episodes, the first two you know, intro episodes of our new series, which we are calling Your Liturgical Bible... Uh, go through those seven. Uh, and I'll just read them out here just to remind uh, our audience, you know, uh, that the Bible is divine and human literature. It's unified literature. It's messianic literature. It's communal literature. It's ancient or contextually rooted literature. It's meditation literature. And it's wisdom literature. And we went through all of those aspects. We commented on them. We looked at them from an Orthodox perspective. But Father Jeffrey... I think that there's actually a forgotten pillar. There's a missing pillar in this. You know, the number seven is a really good biblical number. It's a number of wholeness. And it's really nice and clean to just have seven pillars of biblical literacy. Like it makes a lot of sense. But I do think that there's one more that is missing that we should talk about. Um, And that pillar is that the Bible is liturgical literature. And of course, us here at enacting the kingdom which is a podcast about liturgical worship this of course would be our favorite of the pillars i'm sure that the bible is liturgical literature and i guess the first place to start there father jeffrey is the bible clearly existed before the liturgies that we express you know in in our orthodox tradition whether it's the divine liturgy of saint john chrysostom or vespers or or any of this stuff um So what do we mean, and I guess that's what this whole episode is about, by the Bible being liturgical literature, right? Liturgy being prayer, liturgy being people gathering together, maybe singing together or reading together. Um, But the Bible's a book. And how does that connect with people actually praying in community, right? Where's where's that connection? Right. Well, I mean, it's everywhere, right? It's, it's, It's the origin of the Bible. It is the natural home of the Bible. It is where we go when we want to understand what the Bible is all about and and so forth. So the liturgy is the kind of overarching, you know, the, it's the wrapping around the whole of the the scriptures. Um, And it's, it's in that sense that, I mean, ultimately those seven pillars that we already went through, each of them you could say is actually a facet of that equation. So to say that this is the eighth pillar is a little bit uh, misrepresented. It's actually the the pillar of pillars, right? It's the one that that mm, makes like sense that. of like all of more. the others. Yes, exactly. So um, it's a bit like, you know, we have 12 great feasts of the church and then we have Pascha, you know, the, the feast of feasts, right? So it's in that sense, we're not adding, you know, another one onto them. It's actually the one that that, that makes sense and draws together into some in this kind of beautiful, uh, seamless tapestry, um, all of the other pillars. And it's why, you know, as we went along and described the, the other pillars, we kind of hinted at some of this, you know, well, it's, it's communal literature. Well, you know, what is that community that that's in play here? It's, it's the liturgical community, right? 
um, you know, it's that these texts that we have collected into this library that is the Bible, they emerge out of a community's experience of the living God, right? And it's that sense that, you know, all of the, the scriptures and, and, and everything that surrounds them, right? So it's the, the whole tradition of passing down the scriptures, of interpreting the scriptures, of preaching the scriptures, of, of living the scriptures, that the entire enterprise is what we actually call liturgy, right? Liturgy is the primary experience of the living God, of God's covenant community. And it goes right back, you know, to the very first call of Abraham and his family, and then the the people, the descendants that he had through whom God would bless all the, the nations of the world. And, and what you ultimately have, that overall story could be described in terms of moving from the call of one to worship the living God to an ultimate fulfillment of all the nations that come to worship the living God as predicted or foreseen by the, the prophets, beautiful images of precisely that thing in, in the prophet Isaiah, for example, to where it's actually brought to its full completion in, in the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, where we see finally that vision fulfilled all nations in liturgy. I mean, it, it, it's, it is what it is, right? The, the whole thing is a liturgical, you know, enterprise. If liturgy is understood as this experience of who God is, of being with God, right, and God being with us, then that's what it's all about. And it's th- these are just uh, a kind of written reflection and um, you know, and and proclamation of that experience through time to its fulfillment when all nations will be able to do precisely that thing: worship God and be with God forever. A metaphor that's coming to my mind, and let me know if this is what you mean, and, and correct me if, it, if I'm going wrong here, but the metaphor that's coming to my mind is one of, you know, what's the best way to experience, let's say, Hamlet, right? A Shakespearean play. You know, you could sit in a classroom and study it, right? You could read a passage from Hamlet every day and meditate upon it. You could um, compare Hamlet with, you know, all the other Shakespearean texts, Um you could see, you know, you could uh, learn about how you uh, see yourself as Hamlet and how does it affect your everyday life. You know, you could uh, study the history about William Shakespeare or, you know, the time that he lived in. Um, all of these are, are good things, but it seems to me that the most palpable and perhaps visceral way of experiencing Hamlet is to perhaps not even watch a production of it, but perhaps to be in a production of it or to, or to see it enacted by multiple people at, at once on stage, right? Like reading it in the book is good, but that's not necessarily the place where it achieves its full expression, right? Does that, does that metaphor make sense? It does, absolutely. And I mean, this is very, very similar to you know how we've distinguished before between the different ways that, you know, uh, the theater even works itself, right? That it, so it, even before you get to, to a theatrical production, as you said, you can, you can just be in this mode of let's study it as, as a, an object, you know, 
try to come to some sort of comprehension or understanding of it where we you almost the image here is you stand over something and we're going to kind of dissect it and and, and make sense of it and, and and all of its different parts and contexts and and so forth and that's really been the modern enterprise when it comes to to scripture is to kind of pull apart to to kind of dissect to to make sense of of things to come to this kind of understanding through reason of 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 everything that that's in play. Now that can lead to a lot of really in, interesting and useful information, but if you leave it there, then you don't have anything, right? You haven't actually gone anywhere. Um NT Wright has the image of, you know, if you take your your car to a mechanic, right? And you say, you know, I'd, I'd like this to run better, right? And you show up the next week and the mechanic shows you every part of your car disassembled, lying on the gar garage floor and says, you know, look, I found every part. Isn't it great? I can tell you what everything does. And you sort of say, wonderful, you know, but shouldn't we put this knowledge to good use and actually make the car run, you know, put it all back together and and, and work with it. So, so you're right. So, I mean, that image of, you know, Hamlet, you can study an awful lot about it and learn an awful lot about it before, you know, actually getting into it and driving it and, and understanding it. But, but then even we get to the production side of it, if you put it on those le levels of, of kind of drama that, that we've talked about before in terms of, of liturgy and so forth, right? There's the, the purely aesthetic where you view an external performance and, and it only does something in your brain. Maybe, you know, might give you a new idea or a new thought or something like that. Then there's the kind of secondary level where the, there's, it's ritual, where something is happening to someone. It's not you, but at least somebody is being transformed, you know, in the performance. And maybe that's the, the actors themselves in, in Hamlet or, or whatever. But there's this third level of, of social drama, right? Where everybody, the performer, the audience are, are, are all involved. And there's this wonderful word that comes from ancient Greek, um, you know, theater, which is methexis. And methexis means um, a, a, a shared experience, a participation. And so way back you know, before we got into, you know, modern drama and everything, which is very much about understanding performers and audience being separate, and you've got footlights and a stage that separate the two, and those lines are, you know, very clearly de delineated. Methexis meant that, you know, when you went to a play, you're involved, right? You're you're part of, of the action, and, and you're not just being given new ideas or thoughts, you're, you're actually drawn into the story. You're part of, of, of the action. You could expect to become, you know, emotionally, psychologically, even physically, you know, in, involved in all of that. Now, Mythics has an interesting history because Plato then picks up on it and, and he makes it his philosophical term for the way that, you know, things that are in this world, the, the becoming things participate in, in being, right? So if, if something is beautiful, like a, I don't know, a, a sunset or a, you know, a baby, you know, a bird or something like that, and you're looking at that, he says, methics is, is that process by which this thing that is, is, is just kind of a, a pale reflection of true beauty participates in that form of beauty, the idea of beauty and so forth. So interestingly, that has become the way a lot of Orthodox experience you know, liturgy and the scriptures, right? That, oh, we'll, we'll somehow absorb, you know, the way it's performed or put on and it'll, it'll bring us to this kind of more eternal, you know, plane of reality. But what I want to draw people's attention to is the participation, that shared experience of the social drama that 
happens in, in liturgy or ought to happen in liturgy where we actually become part of, of that story. And so precisely that image of, of Hamlet, you're, you're, in, you're in Hamlet and you're, you're in the action. Or for us in, in the scriptures, we, we go to that place where everything that the scriptures are talking about, that in other words, that experience of the community of the living God is exactly what's happening at that time. It's not talking about it. It's not describing some external thing or some past thing or indeed some future thing, right? That, I mean, we do that. We, we kind of historicize the scriptures or we, we, we turn this kind of um, false form of eschatology on it where we assume that this is just to happen later. This is some future thing. No, the whole experience of, of liturgy is that experience where the story of and the narrative of scripture is precisely happening at that moment in time. And we, through mythics, is through the shared, common participation in what's going on, are capable of being transformed you know, by that, because it's drawing us into the very same experience. You know, when we read about and proclaim Moses going up the mountain and meeting God, you know, face to face or, or, or Elijah's experience of God in the still small voice or, or the, 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 the encounters of the people of Israel with, with, with God, or indeed the apostles meeting the risen Lord Jesus or the, the myrrh bearers, we, we celebrate those things over and over again, because it is the it is possible for us in that moment to have the same experience, right? And that, that beautiful image of the, the road to Emmaus where, you know, the, the scriptures are open, the bread is broken, and, and Jesus appears before their very eyes, the one who had been veiled to them, you know, before those, those disciples accompanying him on that journey. That's our experience of liturgy, right? We open the scriptures, we break the bread, we meet the risen Lord Jesus face to face. And if we're not doing that, then something is wrong. We've kind of, we've, we've just left, like in your image, you know, Hamlet on the table, just studying it as an external object or the car mechanic who's taken all the bits and pieces out. And we've learned an awful lot about the thing. And we can talk an awful lot about the information, the data of the thing as we can do with scripture and, and, and so forth. But we're not actually doing what scripture is meant to do, which is to draw us into that same experience of, of the living God. So, so you're quite right. I mean, you have to put on the play, you have to be in the play. You have to have this, um, this opportunity of, of the more ancient version of mythics which is full on participation in the experience of what is being enacted at that you know point in time and and that's why you know scripture that is in fact a reflection of the original experience of the people of god comes back home and is in its proper place when we proclaim it anew and celebrate it and enact it anew in in liturgy and so it is from the beginning to the end a liturgical book it's from the beginning to the end something that involves our full participation and not just learning about it some sort of external you know knowledge or understanding or, or whatever much as those things can be precursors to a better participation it can't stay there right we would not leave our understanding of scripture as just a kind of study in that regard a kind of rational project it is full-on full-bodied enacting of the story that has to happen if you haven't yet become a patron of enacting the kingdom over on patreon you're only getting a small fraction of everything we're up to when you become a patron for as little as three dollars a month you'll get immediate access to over 100 patreon exclusive episodes weekly new releases private live streams and patreon community events like bible studies 
And as we're social media free, Patreon is the only place to engage with us and others about these episodes. Go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to join the growing community. I don't often tell stories about my wife, but here, here we go. <laughs> it's okay. She's not listening. <laughs> she's not definitely not listening. So, um, you know, when we first started dating, she wasn't Orthodox. She did belong to a local, uh, Mennonite church. Um, but she, she would attend with me most Sundays. Um, she was like, Oh, my boyfriend goes to church. I'll just go with him. Right. Um, and she had experienced at that point, uh, the point of the story, probably a Pascha or two. Right. Um, and for those who are listening, who have been to an Orthodox Easter, you know, Paschal service, it's really something else like shouts of Christ is risen. And it's a, it's a really big celebration. And then the first time that she went to an Easter service at her old church, the pastor was giving some kind of sermon, um, kind of looking at a passage of scripture. And, and, and Nikaila said afterwards, my wife, Nikaila said afterwards, it's like, what are we doing? Like, why aren't we all just like standing up and singing and shouting? And, you know, like we're just sitting down and uh, like, this isn't the time for study. You know, that like uh, she was, I think what she was able to perceive in that moment was that uh, she saw what liturgy did, right? What what bringing the story to life did in the Paschal Vigil in in the Orthodox context, and she was feeling a disconnect between that and the this sort of kind of glorified Bible study version of a of a church service. Um, and you know, she she said, "There's this is not time to just preach." on a passage of the Bible that you think is interesting, right? There's something bigger going on than just, than just that. Um, yeah, I thought I'd share that story. I'm not sure if you want to comment no, on that, but. Well, this is exactly what I'm talking about, right? That, you know, in liturgy, what is the, the story that the scripture describes to us is something that, that draws us into the point where, you know, we're, 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 we cohere as a community, right? And we, we come together as, as kind of equal participants with the original participants that are described in the scriptures. The point of, of us being there is not to, to reflect on someone else's experience, but to have that same experience ourselves. We get absorbed into this kind of fluid event, right? That, that galvanizes us as as participants in it and empowers us to to kind to kind of live that it gives us wholeness and and possibility right um and you know you can't just if, if these things are true that we're talking about the in terms of the what the story of god is all about and his activity at creating and redeeming and and bringing us into new creation and all of the the possibility and wholeness that 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 implies how could you just just be at a distance from it and, and talk about it or reflect on it as a past event or consider it as, as some sort of future reality. It's the, the whole of that performance of the liturgy is, is, is by us. It's about us. It's for us. It's near us. It's, it's a festival. It, it inverts all of the, our experience of, of reality and it becomes this sort of moment ultimately of, of real communion between us and between us and, and God. And in that regard, you know, you couldn't 
possibly just leave it as bits on the floor or as a book on a table or as something to be studied or stood over or comprehended. It's something that, that over, you know, whelms us. But what I want to guard against on the other hand is the way that, as I say, that kind of methics is became distorted and platonic, uh, you know, terms to say that will therefore it's that ultimate thing that is the only thing that, that matters. And even if we don't experience anything here, we're somehow, it's somehow happening. And so, for example, the way scripture becomes liturgical over a period of time in the Orthodox church is it becomes just simply performed and it's assuming it's doing something, even if we're not entering, you know, into it. Right. So the, the, the distortion of mythics is, is something like, well, let's just chant, the uh, let's say the epistle, and we'll do it in some very stylized fashion. It's very distracting; nobody can hear any of the words. And besides which, let's do a sensing with bells at the same time. Or as I heard just the other day, it's Pascha. So as we're sensing, let's shout out Christ is risen con- continually as we're sensing. So the epistle is being read somehow in this context. In the divine liturgy, the epistle is being read. But nobody's hearing it. It's a stylized way of chanting it. The the bells are covering it, and somebody's shouting over top of it. And and people in in the congregation are responding to that um, shout of, of Christ is risen and so forth. Well, you know that's all very interesting. And you could say, well, the people are involved on one level. They are responding to the person doing the sensing with with their cry of of indeed he is risen. But is the epistle doing anything at that point? In a Platonic sense. You could say yes, because it's just this weak image or pale form of the true epistle that exists in some sort of ideal fashion. And Methics is at work, you know, we're there and it's kind of washing over us, even if we don't have any involvement. Well, I would disagree with that. I think we need to return to this kind of more original sense that in order for that properly to work, yes, of course, the ultimate fulfillment of these things is yet to happen. But the eschatological vision of our liturgical worship is that that end has broken into the present. And today we can participate in that. So it does make a difference whether people hear the words of scripture as they're being proclaimed in church. It's not just the idea of performing it that somehow is going to magically work, even if we're not hearing. No, it needs to be understood. It needs to be clearly articulated. It needs to then be, you know, in that same community proclaimed and preached and interpreted by the community that's participating in it. Uh, it, It's not a magical, you know, kind of thing. So there's that distortion on the other side too, where we say, oh, well, the the Bible is liturgical. It's just bring it into liturgy and we'll, we'll do it in this way. We'll, we'll read, you know, the, the Psalms at uh, 150 miles uh, an hour so that, you know, it doesn't really matter. People hear it because we're saying we're getting through the words and that sort of thing. It's not that either. It, it's this full on participation, you know, that we're talking about where the, the community enacts the scriptures in the fullest way possible. They become co-participants in the performance mm. of scripture. And so there's two two sides, right? The one that says, well, no, it's just this thing we can talk about. And even when we do that in a liturgical context, as, as Nikaila found, you know, it's, it's at a distance removed and it feels like it's under the microscope still somehow. Well, that's one side. And the other is to just sort of think it works magically by having it performed liturgically somehow or another you don't need to attend to the meaning or to the to bring our our, our our rational faculties into play at all i think the exciting thing is in the middle there where you understand and you've prepared maybe by doing some of that study ahead of time but by being there and participating and enacting that fully with understanding we can 
properly enter into the same experience that those who we read about in the scriptures, you know, that they had in the first place, right? We become Abraham and Moses and David and Elijah and the apostles and in all of those people and in their experience of the living God. That's the point of liturgy, not that, that we stay, you know, kind of removed in one way or another. If you are getting value from this podcast, please consider writing a short, positive five-star review on your podcast app. And even though we are social media free, there is still a place you can keep up to date with Enacting the Kingdom. You can join the email list by going to enactingthekingdom.com. And we like to embody narratives, just us as human beings. What's coming to my mind when through that Hamlet example, and then uh, your answer after that, what was coming to my mind is actually Comic-Con, or the maybe comic book culture, or cult movie culture, right? Um, whether it's Rocky Horror Picture Show, or The Room, or these movies where people actually come dressed up and actually have rituals that they do during the movie. They'll call out things, they'll chant, um, or... Um, getting dressed up as Spider-Man and going to Comic-Con. And we, we have this desire to embody a written down story. Like having the story in a book is almost not good enough for us as humans. Like when we, when we have a, a novel we really love, whether, you know, I don't know if people like the Narnia stories, like perhaps we have this desire to go to Narnia, right? There's this desire for that thing to be made real. But what we have in the scriptures is a story that we get to actually embody and it's actually true like it's it, in its fullness um and it's it's this it's getting to getting all the benefits of that desire to embody a story but with but with the knowledge that we also are aligning ourselves with that proper telos does that make sense it does but it even goes one step further in the sense that the very thing that that story is telling is what is happening now, right? It's not that let's put on a, a kind of enactment of something that happened before or something that's yet to come. It is happening at that moment. When the church gathers together as a community and enters, you know, the Eucharistic assembly and, and is constituted, you know, as the church and then, you know, moves through those various entrances to, to, to before the, the throne of God. We talk about that in the liturgy. We describe that in the hymns. We, we, the, the scriptures, you know, bolster all of that. That is really what's happening. The church is being constituted at that point, and that, that assembly is entering into the, the, the throne of the kingdom of God, and, and God himself stands there with all of the angels and, and so forth. That is not just some sort of story that we're depicting. That is the reality of, of what's going on. And so um, as we, you know, every time we come to a feast, it's, you know, it was today, this happened today. It's the now. It's the. It's at this moment. It's not just uh, some other time and place that we're we're dramatically reenacting. It is proper embodiment of the the truths uh, of the scriptures. And if we're not sensing and experiencing it that way, then we need to work harder at doing that. And there may be some things you know we need to shake up a little bit in our churches. Um, if that is, you know, if we've become, you know, too complacent, say one one way or the, or the other, and 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 Orthodox do both, right? That we just sort of assume it's happening magically without our, you know, involvement on the one hand, or that indeed, you know, outside of liturgy, you know, we we have all this 
good orthodox theology and way of thinking and we read a lot of books and everything and that should cover cover it no the, the thing is right in the center of all of that where we have to experience god the way that the prophets apostles and martyrs did you know the you know it's, it's one thing to to read the creed right um and to have the creed and to celebrate the creed uh, which is this you know in some way a distillation of of all the scriptural you know narrative um it's another to use the creed as a map and a map to get us to the same place where those who wrote the creed had experienced you know the the living god as community as communion as body of christ and and they pass that on to us you know none of us would you know if we were given a map study the map you know you know look at the map you know a thousand times and then say i've been there look i've got the map isn't this great and then we want to convince other people to have the same map it's the way we treat orthodoxy all the time whereas what we want to do is having received the map from those who went before to follow it to the same destination which is to say the kingdom of god the experience here and now of god's future age to come and and to and to live that right and to have that 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 experience and so that's what it means to have scripture in liturgy and liturgy that that embodies the and enacts the whole story of scripture well, there you have it. Those are the seven pillars with the one pillar holding all of them up. Uh, I'll, I'll read them out again. You know that the Bible is divine and human literature. It is unified literature. It is messianic literature. It is communal literature. It is ancient or contextually rooted literature. It is meditation literature. It is wisdom literature. And ultimately, your Bible is liturgical literature. And as we dive into this series, and we're going to be looking at themes throughout the Bible, we're not only going to be looking about, uh, we're looking at the themes about how they uh, manifest themselves in the Bible. We're going to look at how those themes also manifest themselves in our liturgical life and our everyday life and connecting those three. That's our desire with this series called Your Liturgical Bible. And before we uh, sign off from this three-episode introduction to our series, Father, was there anything else you'd like to add? No, I think we've uh, probably you know, tried the patience of our, of our listeners a little bit by having such a lengthy introduction to a series, but uh, hopefully they'll, yep, they'll yep. see how that does actually get reflected in, in the specific themes that, that we Absolutely. Come, come up well, with. Well, we want to make sure, you know, when we when we start using terms or, or everything like that, that the listener, even, even if they don't agree with our framework, will at least understand where we're coming from when we're talking about certain things. Very good. Alrighty. Well, that's about it. Thank you very much, Father Jeffrey. I look forward to doing the series with you and thank you to our listeners and we will see you soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Yuri Gladio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning, and I'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow-ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.